Hello, and you are on the Night Owls Late Night Podcast. I am your host, Jodeci Nightshade, and this is my lovely co-host, Angelina Bruno. Hello. Today we will be talking about our origin stories uh, for us as hosts so that all of you can get to know us a little better. Would you like to say something about that, Angie? Um, I mean, <laughs> I guess, yeah, we're talking about where we kind of came from as writers and where we plan to go and things like that. Okay, so you start off first. What was your favorite or your most inspired book series that made you want to be a writer? I don't really have one that really inspired me to be a writer. I just really liked reading when I was a kid. And I've always thought about, you know, what's the one thing that I feel like I can do and contribute to the world? And for a long time, I didn't know what that was. And then I found writing. And writing kind of became the thing that was the one contribution I felt like I could really make and make an impact in the world with. Mm. Yeah, for me, it was probably, well, not probably is, J.K. Rowling, Angel Sing. Um, For me and her Harry Potter series, um, because my cousin Ishar uh, gave me the books when I was very young. And that just started me off the path of both reading and and just writing. It's pretty cool. What about her? You like so much? Um, I like the world building, to be honest. I like that, like, Harry Potter has so many different layers to it. It's like, like the butter beer and the little details like that and how the snitch looks and Quidditch and like all the stuff, like all the little background stuff that you put into a world when you're writing fiction. Like she paid so much detail to and everything that I felt that that really hit the spot for me. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of felt that way with certain book series. I don't know. Twilight was a book series I really liked. I didn't really feel like there was a great world building in it. But I liked the series as it is. I liked the romance in it, even though it was kind of corny. But there's other book series that I like. Like, I like the There's one book series when I was a kid I used to read called The Haunting of Derek Stone. And he did a really good job of, like, world building. It's about this kid named Derek, and he got into a train accident. And his brothers died, but another person took over his brother's body. And then this legion of dead people were trying to come back and take over the world. So they had to stop the legion from taking over people's bodies. It was really cool. Oh, hell, maybe I should just start reading this series. It's short, but it's really, really good. <laughs> By the sound of it, I'm like, oh, this is right up my alley. Yeah, it's really, it's a really good book series. Uh, so, any other books you'd recommend? I like anything by Aiden Chambers, if you're looking for more mature read. Especially, like, The Toll Bridge and Dance on My Grave. Those are my two favorite ones. Yeah. I like Veronica Roth a lot. Divergent series. Gotta love it. And um, who else? The Hunger Games. I like the Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Hunger Games, too. Yeah. And I like um, The World As We Knew It as well. That's a really good series. I don't think I've ever read that one. That one's really good. It's about the moon becoming too close to the Earth. And um, like the end of the world, basically. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, right. You told me about that. Yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah. Um, 
let's see what else whatever rick riordan was always a favorite when i was young percy jackson in seventh grade <laughs> i think he wrote the paladin prophecy too if i'm not mistaken the paladin prophecy was it's an okay series the first book was really good but the second the second one was kind of like so off that i couldn't even read the third one. Oh, really yeah i mean the first book was really good it had really cool world building it kind of got me into writing about like a cat, like academies more and things like that. Mm. It kind of gave me the idea behind my own like academy series, but uh, I don't know. I always liked names. When you name a character, I always feel like that's how it starts. The, the name- that's my favorite part because I like <laughs> these like really old long names. That's like one of my series has like all old Greek names for every character. Yeah, I created this whole character for this series idea that I'm doing, Dragonair. And the the whole character, the first main character's name is Lionel, first of all. And I, I'm just, like, thinking, a lion. And he looks like a lion in my head. Like, just, like, with a blonde locks and goatee and everything. And I'm just like, yep, he looks like his name. Mm. Yeah, I think the character's name really defines how the character's going to be, depending on the kind of name. Like, if you give a character name Bob, you'd assume them to be pretty boring and things like that. Then you give him a character name like, I don't know. Bartholomew. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> something like that. It's going to be an interesting character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have yet to write a character named Bartholomew, but it's on my list of things to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I have a cat named Bartholomew or a hamster or something on my series. But I haven't actually written anything like a character character. Yeah. Names. All important. All important. And I'm kind of getting into unisex names a little more, too. Ever since I found that name Graylin, I just, I just like started getting more and more into unisex names. I'm like, oh. Well, that's why I use like Riley, for example, as a unisex name. Yeah. I don't use many unisex names, but there's a couple that I've used, like Hayden, Gr- Hayden in London, things like that. Yeah. Really great, really great. So, your top five books, go. Top five. Um, probably number five would be Taunting of Derek Stone series. Number four would be. Number four. There's a lot of book series that I like. I'm trying to think. I guess number four would be the Magic Treehouse series. Even though it's like a kid's book series. It was a really good series. Aww, that's so cute. <laughs> number three is definitely Dance on My Grave. Number four is The Toll Bridge. And number one is Rules of Survival. Hmm. Alright. Mine? Hmm. Oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. Um, I think number five would be Percy Jackson. Number four would be Hunger Games. Number three would be Divergent. Um, Number two might be... I don't know who gets two. 
I have to think about two. I don't know who's going to get two yet. And then one is Harry Potter. And I don't know who gets two. You like a lot of the mainstream ones, huh? Yeah. And I also like, oh, I know who gets two. Kylie Chan. She writes this Dark Heaven series. I haven't heard of it before. It's a it's a series about Chinese mythology and martial arts and like this this girl or woman I should say named Emma Donahoe starts out as like a caretaker for this businessman in China and it's set in Hong Kong and he has his little daughter named Simone and she thinks that everything's normal at first but then she starts seeing that things are up and then she realizes that the businessman is actually a god from Chinese mythology and that the girl is essentially uh, the Chinese version of a demigod and she takes over the training in, in martial arts to protect the Simone from demons and things like that and the, and the king of hell and all that stuff oh cool yeah, it's urban fiction, and they're huge. They're like 600 pages per book, so. Oh, well. So, anything you want to bring up? That I can think of? Not really. I mean, um... I guess, like, where do you want to go in life with your writing career? Oh, big question. I'd like to touch upon everything in my writing career. I'd like to do at least every genre at least once. <laughs> That's a big task to fill. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But I've, I, I've done fiction, poetry, nonfiction, playwriting probably going to do screenwriting next and we'll see we'll see where where it goes from there <laughs> yeah i've always been interested in playwriting i never i started trying to write a play i'm not great at it but i know the basics of it i like reading plays so i'm assuming that i'll be able to write one pretty well i've studied enough to kind of have in that direction but i write fiction a lot all my fiction that i write i usually have a lot of dialogue in and basically a play is just pure dialogue anyway so I think I can do it. I just have to kind of put my mind to it. Yeah, the the dialogue of a play for me, actually dialogue for me kind of turned me off from plays because at first with my fiction writing, I I thought my dialogue was so bad in my fiction writing, but then eventually that kind of like sharpened and everything. And then my professor at Albertus, the school we go to, um, says to me oh you have such good dialogue in your story and it was just like a little segment in a short story and I was just like oh well that's the first time someone's complimented my dialogue and then I'd written a play before that but I had a lot of help putting it all together so it didn't really feel like I had created the dialogue on my own and then like eventually after I got that compliment I was just like okay I'm gonna try this and lo and behold here I am writing plays Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another takes a little bit of a push to get things going. 
I never really did anything like with a push. Like I never really had anybody that kind of backed up what I was doing. I just kind of sat down at a computer and made it happen. And people mm-hmm. like what I do, so I'm assuming I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. You did it the more rough and tumble kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I really kind of just did it by myself and hoped for the best. Mm-hmm. Which, in a sense, I still do. I mean, I it's hard when you write. Like, I write, like right now, I'm working on three series, and it's like I'm stuck on these just these three books and I don't know how to break off and kind of get a new idea. I kind of think I have an idea and then I go to write it and then it doesn't work out. So it's it's difficult. Sometimes. You, you don't know what's next on your big horizon? I kind of have an idea of a book I want to write. There's two books ideas that I kind of have or they could be, end up becoming just one idea for one book but it would be changing around my style a lot so I have to kind of really sit down and dedicate myself to it. Oh, I'm not great. I mean, I'm good at world building, but I'm getting used to world building. One of my series, I have a lot of world building in. It's, but I, I could definitely use a lot more. So I have to really try and crack down on getting world building better. Just a little promo to our listeners. I'm one of Angie's readers, and let me tell you, the series that she's talking about, right there with them. <laughs> Yeah, the Shadow Walkers is probably the one series that I have that's got the most world building in it. The Guest hasn't enough, but it's still based on like modern society. The Calvaries is like just basically England split up into four countries, so it's not like a huge world build that I have to do there. It's just a matter of s- switching things around. But the Shadow Walkers is about gods, so I have to do a lot of world building in that one. Yeah, I think I've always, when it came to fiction, felt that world building was a very important thing like when my fiction I've always wanted like international characters full on full backgrounds entire cultures like I, I just wanted to put pull it all together and maybe that's because my first book book really was Harry Potter and it w- the world was so big like I mentioned earlier that I just like fell in love with the world building yeah Sometimes, sometimes a little too much. Like for Harry Potter, I don't like Harry Potter, so I feel like there's too much going on. Like I can't keep track of everything, and I feel like that could be a flaw sometimes. If you have too much going on, it's hard for readers to keep track of it. I'm sure if you're obsessed with the series, eventually, like it's like with Twilight for me. Like people can't understand Twilight, but I understand it because I've read it so much and I've dedicated time to it. So I can see how if you sat down, and dedicated time to it, you'd be able to understand it. But for me, it's just like it's too much going on. I can't keep track of everything. Yeah, we ha- me and Angie have this ongoing, somewhat playful argument <laughs> about Twilight versus Harry Potter, where I say in- vampires do not sparkle. <laughs> no, I agree with that. I, I, Twilight <laughs> is not by any means a good book series. I just enjoy the stupid romance behind it. I like romance. I write no romance novels. So for me, any kind of romance I'm going to get, you know, turned into. But I hate, I hate Twilight. I can't stand it anymore. I used to be obsessed with it, but... I never thought it was decent writing. I just thought that it was something stupid to kind of get addicted to. Oh, well, this is a new chapter in our playful banter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, it's not by any means a well-written series, but at the same time, is anything a well-written series? There's a lot of people that write really trash books that end up just becoming super addicting. That's true. Sometimes the stereotypes and a little change are, are addicting. Yeah, I mean, you could write the book like, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example. I can't stand that fucking series at all. Excuse my language, but I really can't. 
but like everyone is obsessed with it. The writing style is absolutely horrible, but there's a good storyline behind it, I guess, for people. So that's why they get addicted to it. I mean, the sex and the romance and the you know the dominant personality and the and the everything like that. People get a, turned into this. They want they put aside the fact that the grammar skills are awful and they are interested in what's actually going to happen. Yeah, I actually started reading that. It's funny that you brought that up. Shades of Grey, and let me tell you, <laughs> there was like a sex scene every other page. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too much. I I write sex scenes in the regular in my books, but I don't write them like that. They're not all just like ridiculously over dramatic sex scenes. They're just periods of little love making here and there that are you know sometimes intense, sometimes not, depending on what's going on. There, that one's just like there's nothing good about it. Yeah. Um, hmm. what other books should we discuss? Uh, one series that I think everyone has a big controversy over is The Hunger Games, because I like The Hunger Games a lot. I loved it. I cried reading it. I cried watching it until the last book. The last yeah, book yeah, ruined yeah, it for me. Yeah. <laughs> book one and book two, best books of the series. I love book two. Book two is my favorite book of the entire series entire series and then book three which is a train wreck yeah once Finnick died I was I was done I, I totally put the book down I couldn't even watch the second part of the Hunger Games movies I mean I wouldn't watch him die I I stuck I stuck through it and watched all the movies and read all the books and I kind of feel like people are half right with the whole the last book is a train wreck kind of situation. But then the other half of me is like, well, she wrapped it up and it might not have been the best way. And it wasn't exact. It wasn't a happy ending. So really, when you think about it, so. It is for Katniss, but it isn't for anybody else. I mean, Gail doesn't have a happy ending. Finnick dies. And so Anne doesn't have a, or Annie doesn't have a good ending. His, her mother and sister don't have a good ending. Like everyone gets a shit end of the stick except for Katniss. Well, even Katniss, you could say she had, she got the shit end of the stick because her sister ended up dying, and Peta, the one she marries, ends up still getting um, delusions from being hijacked. Yeah, but he kind of bounces back from it by the time they have kids. Oh well, yeah, that's true. Even she though there is gets... that one. Go ahead. There is that one scene where Peta grabs the back of the chair in the kitchen when he's having an episode that kind of tells you that he still has it even when they have kids yeah that's true but at least he's still alive yeah like the whole thing i don't think i mean i don't mind that she's not with gail but to stick gail in the mind for the rest of his life like that's such a horrible ending for that kid he deserves so much better he stuck up with so much of her crap the entire time and he got thrown in the mines at the end, and that was that. It, it's like, it's just, there's things she, she could have written a little bit differently that I think would have worked much better. Yeah, our our listeners would probably agree with you on that one. Like, Finnick did not have to die. There's no reason for him to die. There was absolutely none. He was my favorite character of the entire series, and his death was just totally uncalled for. Like, they could have slipped through those vents perfectly fine. There's no no reason for to kill him. She kind of just killed people just to kill him at that point. Yeah, I don't really remember. 
Phoenix's death that well, so I can't really comment on. They're going to the vents, and uh, they send the wolves after them, and they grab Finnick before they grab Katniss. He tells her to go ahead, and they grab Finnick and they eat him alive. Oh, ouch! So it's like a horrible death too for a great character. He just got back with his wife. They're like about to have a kid. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that part with his wife. I was like, oh. Yeah, because just like you said, he, he such a gruesome end for someone who's married and ha- and is about to have a kid and is so great. There was just no need. All right, well, we're 20 minutes in now, and maybe we should move on to our next topic, main topic, which is Instapoets, love them or hate them? Hate them. Um, I'm on the fence, people. It has been said that they doubled the poetry book sales in 2017 from what they were in 2016. And some writers suggest that it's reinvigorating the poetry genre for people in the 21st century. No, I don't feel that way. I feel like they're just people that are reblogging pictures. Half of them are stolen. And I don't don't know. If you're going to write actually use pen and paper. Um, yeah, you'd be on the side of the argument that says that their works are plagiarized, probably, and and kind of pitiful. They are. I've been said, too. <laughs> they absolutely are. Some insta-poets in today's day and age are Rupi Carr, I probably totally mispronounced that name, but I'm just going to roll with it, who had a debut collection called Milk and Honey, which has become very popular. And then there's Amanda Lovelace, who wrote The Princess Saved Herself in this one. And then there is Atticus, who wrote his debut collection, uh, Love Her Wild. And I've actually read Love Her Wild. I've read each of their books. And Love Her Wild is visually appealing, and I like kind of the the shortness of it, the brevity of it that Instagram's known for. I'm it, all for short, short poetry, too. I write When I write my poems, they're not long poems by any means whatsoever. I write short, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm bored, I have nothing to do, and I have an idea of poems. That's how my poems happen. But at the same time, it's like it's an Instagram post. There's a line between social media and actual creative work that I think is crossing. And it's like, if you're going to write poetry, sit down on a computer and write it. You can get you. Why buy the book when you can get it for free off their Instagram? That's the same thought I had, actually, when it, when I first heard of instant poetry. And I, I was like, well, and it, and it says in Poets and Writers magazine that dedicated fans will get hardcover copies of the books because not all the poetry is present in the Instagram posts. Yeah, but like 95% of it is. So, I know about Milk and Honey. I've heard, I've seen and read sections of Milk and Honey. And I'm just like, I don't see a lot of creativity behind it. I see like someone writing a post about how like, I don't know, just it's a social media status to me. Like, there's people that write, they call themselves insta-poets and stuff like that, who write about, like, how they are suicidal or they want their life to end. That's not really creativity. That's just you whining about how you're horrible you think your life is. If it's real, honest poetry, then I'll give it some slack. 
but I, a lot of the ones that I see aren't really re- true, honest poetry. I have to really, I have to read Milk and Honey before I can make an opinion about it. What I've seen, I don't mind, but I don't, I'm not in love. I've read a much better poets than what I've read in Milk and Honey. Um, so then there's also Amanda Lovelace, who I will say again, wrote The Princess Saved Yourself in this one. And that one, to me, was more on the side of what you said. A little quick and a little um, simple, to say the least. Um, yeah, that's what it is. It's like, they're just simple. There's not a lot of love behind them. And Atticus... Well, I already spoke about Atticus. And since you mentioned Milk and Honey... I'll jump into Milk and Honey. Um, Milk and Honey for me, not my favorite. Not my favorite. I think the reason I like Atticus's Love for Wild is because it's visually striking, which Instagram is known for with all the pictures and whatnot, and it complements the brevity of the poetry. So you kind of get a little bit of an art book along with your poetry book. So I kind of like that aspect of it, which is probably what separates it for me from Milk and Honey and The Princess Saves Herself in this one. I could see how, like, having... If it's, like, an art book along with it, I could see how it makes it a little bit more powerful. I haven't seen or heard of it yet, so I have to look it up. But, I don't know. There's something about... That turns just turns me off about social media poets. I'm not, like, running to go buy a copy of their book. Like, it's just... It's not my thing. I, I'd rather a wholesome author who sits down dedicates their life to what they're doing be someone I buy over someone who's just tagging people in Instagram photos and writing a social media status yeah some people think that insta poetry is just a pop phenomenon that's gonna pass and and won't stay long in the poetry genre I mean there's so many things that are right with it I can see but there's wrong with it too like there's so many like plagiarism is a huge thing you're putting your work out there for thousands to see. Anyone could steal it. You probably stole half of it, depending on what it is and who the person is. Like, I could not put it past any of them to have seen something else and taken it from there. And then, like, people steal your stuff all the time. And I'm sure there's just there's things that are not as wholesome about it that kind of make it look like they're laughing or mocking actual writers. And that's kind of why I don't like it. I mean, I guess the pros of it are it's an easy way to self-publish. You know, some of it is good. It's not like it's all horrible. I'm sure there's plenty of them that are perfect. I don't really, I'm not huge on Instagram, so I don't really look into a lot of poets and things like that that are on there. But, you know, that's just a personal thing. But I'm sure a lot of it is pretty good. And I, and people, there's a lot more people can see your work compared to, like, you waiting months for a publisher and having to do all this stuff. So I can see where it would work in people's benefits, but I would be too nervous to put my work up there and have everyone just plagiarize it constantly. Yeah, that's the reason I stay away from instant poetry, even though I'm a writer and I have an Instagram, but um, no, just not for me. I'm a little too paranoid about plagiarism to do that. I am too. Like my every, my books are everything to me. If I if anyone ever stole it, like it would break my heart and break my soul. So I can never imagine putting my work out there. Like even the poems that I write, I've written few poems but the poems that I do write I'm very proud of I don't want to have them all over the, for the world to see unless it's in a hard copy of a book yeah so what po- 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 poets do you like 
I like old-fashioned poets. Like, I like Edgar Allan Poe. I like... I'm trying to think of what poets I like. I like a lot of old-fashioned poets. I don't really... I'm not huge into poetry. I like poetry a lot. I like the... um. Oh, what are they called? There's something with an S. It's the Spoon River. Spoon River Anthology is really, really good for poetry. It's basically like a whole bunch of monologues from people that have died in this town called Spoon River. I think it's where it is. I think it's town. And it's like how everyone's connected through their little monologue. Like, it's this person and his wife, and his wife knew this person, and that person knew that person's dog, and this person knows that. But it's like little death monologues for each person that died at the town. But it's a really interesting kind of camp-like set of poetry. Yeah, I could see how you like that. Um, I like Sherwood Anderson's um, Winesburg, Ohio, too. Actually. I think I've read that. I read it in class. Ah, oh, that's why it sounds familiar. I'm like, oh, there it is. (laughs) I like Even Boland. She writes a lot about, like, the Irish famine and things like that. I like, um... Ginsburg, I like Emily Dickinson. I like I like all the older kind of poets. I like a lot of the bohemian ones, and then I like a lot of the old-fashioned ones. Yeah, I like Sylvia Plath, Emily Dickinson, Pablo Neruda, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, who else? Um. Hmm. Sierra DeMolder, but she's not really an old type of poet. She's new. Well, fairly new. Um, and I'm actually reading a book of Pablo Neruda's right now, all of his odes, which, and the title is actually All the Odes, and it's like 800 pages long. And, um, yeah, he has something to say about every single thing he could possibly think of. <laughs> it's been needed, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, I don't, like, love mainstream poets. Like, I don't hate Robert Frost and Walt Whitman, but they're not my favorite. Like, I don't like Walt Whitman that much. I really, he's just not my favorite. I don't like, I don't hate Robert Frost. I like a lot of his poetry. But, like, the more mainstream a poet is, the more I kind of turn away. I like the ones that really no one talks about as much more. Yeah. And William Carlos Williams, the red wheelbarrow. I like him. Um, yeah, he, that well, that was a good one. Yeah, the lots of imagery, very, very streamlined. I liked it. Ezra Pound is a good one. I'm trying to think who else. I don't read much of Ezra Pound. I I've read one or two. I know that, but I haven't written read. I read a whole bunch of them. There's one poem that I really liked, and I can't remember who it's by. Well, while you're thinking, since you brought up Robert Frost, I like his um, "The Road Less Traveled." Yeah, that's my favorite. That's my favorite one. For like sing song poetry, I guess like I don't, I don't love sing song poetry. I really like Emily Dickinson. I like how I like the death theme behind her poetry. If I'm thinking of the right poet, I think I am. But like yeah. she writes a lot of death poetry, and I really am interested in it. It kind of it really is descriptive, 
it's interesting to look to actually read. Yeah, you're thinking of the right poet, all right. She definitely writes a lot about death. I like, I mean, I don't mind T.S. Eliot. Like, I like, um, I can't remember what it's called. The one about, oh, the love song of, of Proof Rock. That's the one. I wrote, like, an essay on that, and I extensively studied that poem. I like that poem a lot, but I don't like the wasteland that much. It's just too freaking long for my taste. I like to sit down and read, like, a, po- a couple poems at a time, not, like, one poem over the course of 17 years. <laughs> uh, yeah I see, I see what you mean I see what you mean and that's kind of how I feel and though, though I love and adore Pablo Neruda all the odes is just a little too long like some of the some of the poems are just and he writes short little lines they're not like long lines but it's one large stanza mostly with short lines, and it goes on for like two, three, four pages for, for one poem, and, and I'm like, oh my god, and like, can it? Sometimes I'm just like, oh my god, can it end? But yeah. <laughs> Even though I do love his ode to a lemon, I do love that. I don't know if you've read that one. No, I haven't. Um. Well, he he compares a lemon to like a cathedral. And cathedral and um, the hemispheres of like breaking up and a lemon and squeezing out the juice and everything. It re- it really is descriptive for just a small little piece of fruit. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Um, anybody else? Um, oh, Sierra de Mulder. I like her today means amen because it's very inclusive and um, I I feel like it was a, a poem meant for everybody. Like I think you could really relate to that poem no matter who you are because we've all felt it at some time to be down and out and and trying to persevere and get through the day and everything. So I feel like that is a really good poem. My favorite poem is I gotta look up the author real quick. John, I think it's John Keats. Yes, John Keats, and it's when I have fears that I may cease to be. It's like a little poem just about like fearing dying, and it's like got me through a whole bunch of stuff in my life. It's just the sweetest little poem, and it's just it's very. I like sweet little poems that have a really big message behind them. Like that one. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I'll read it sometime. It's mm. a very quick poem, but it's really interesting. Um, there's this poem. I don't know who the author is, but maybe you do. The Evening Hawk. I know the poem, but I don't know who the author is. I can't think of it. I can't remember who wrote it, but that poem is a a very good poem. I analyzed it in high school, and it was just like, when you really got to the bolts and pieces of it, it was just like, really good. Yeah. So, any other poets on your 
fan list? Not that I can think of at the moment. I think I've talked about a bird that I, love, I like the most. All right. Well, let's move to our n- next topic. Um, we're 36 minutes in now. And we're talking about pen names. Use them or don't. Love them or hate them. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I said this a lot tonight. I just like things I disagree with. I don't know. Pen names are okay. I don't use a pen name myself. I like to have credit for my own work. I'm not afraid to tell the world who I am and what I've done. So I'm not into pen names much. I understand why people use them, though. Yeah. And you and you know this particularly about me, Angie, knowing me as long as you have, that um, my pen name, Jodeci Nightshade, I use sparingly. It's more become my inter- my internet profile exclusive name but for the most part I publish under my real name and even though I have a I have a love for my pen name it feels like my alternate ego yeah for me it's just you know pen names like I said I feel like people are hiding behind a pen name like you shouldn't be afraid to express who you are and what you've done and what you've written and what you've created it's kind of your thing it's your child almost you should have the ability to tell the world i'm the one who created this look what i've done yeah that is true and you also have to think how it was in the olden days because jk rowling who uses that pen name and the pen name of robert galebreath um the reason she used J.K. Rowling was because that her publisher at the time told her that they wouldn't publish her if she was female or that, or had even an inkling that she was female. So they changed her name to J.K. Rowling so that she could get published. I guess yeah. In the olden days, I'm, like, I like I make sense for like old older times, but for newer times, pen names I don't think are really necessary. I mean, this day and age. You should be able to publish under whatever name you want to, especially your own name. Yeah, that's very true. Um, let's see who. Oh, and who, Atticus is a, that we mentioned earlier is also a pen name, as you probably imagine, listeners. Um, so pen names for me just are I say use them if you want if you don't that's fine too I don't really think I have much to say about pen names yeah me either so I think we we are reaching the 39 minute mark and in recap, we've talked about our origin stories and several books of fiction and book series that we liked and as aspiring writers ourselves. And we've talked about Instapoets and Love Them or Hate Them and how they're affecting the writing world in the 21st century. And pen names. And do you love them, hate them, use them, not? And... Um, a few people, few writers who use pen names themselves. So, 
Tune in for the next episode of Night Owls Late Night Podcast. Leave a voice message with either one of us to check in and see things on the podcast that you suggest, like songs or topics or anything like that. Just leave a voice message. Be sure to give us applause and spread through word of mouth. Once again, I'm Jodeci Nightshade, and this is my lovely co-host, Angelina Bruno. Good night, listeners.